had put on our hearts um, in terms of influencing the city, blessing the city for the kingdom. And some themes that came up were healthy families, uh, youth who are in need, marginalized communities, homelessness and trafficking prevention. And as we look for organizations um, to partner with in our local outreach department, in addition to Project Peace and various other like outreach things we're doing together, um, we found this great organization called Foster the Bay. And um, we've been hearing from, um, we heard from Christine a couple weeks ago, and um, we've actually recently formed about three teams of five ARC members each who, who said, yes, I want to partner with Foster the Bay. I want to be a part of a team to um, support a foster family here in the Bay Area. So that's how Foster the Bay works. They, um, uh, they connect churches to foster families to really make a difference in, in our region. So uh, Pastor Philip Patterson is a foster dad, a pastor and co-founder slash executive director of Foster the Bay. And it's a coalition of more than 70 churches across the Bay Area committed to providing a loving home for every child in the foster care system. The vision of Foster the Bay is to one day see a waiting list of families rather than a waiting list of children in need of, uh, in need of a home in every city across the Bay Area. So we're so excited to hear from you, Pastor Philip. Let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, it's, it's just been super refreshing being here in general just the last hour or so, worshiping with you guys and being able to kind of be a little, being here, but kind of being also an outside observer. Um, this is like, has nothing to do with what I'm gonna share today, um, except that I get a chance to, to um, the, the gospel is alive and well in the Bay Area. And there's a, there's a, we get a, the church kind of gets a bad rep a, a bit and maybe kind of seen in a light that maybe it's stagnant or passive right now, but I get the chance to go and, and speak at some different churches and this is just like a prime example. What I've experienced here the last hour is like a prime example of the way God is at work in the Bay Area. And I just want to tell you on behalf of myself, my wife there in the back and my four rambunctious children who are in the back row as well, um, <laughs> um, like it's an absolute honor and, and, and privilege to be here just to worship with you guys. Um, we are from San Jose and so, it's just cool to know that like in our backyard here there's just again more brothers and sisters that are um, regularly gathering together together to figure out what God is doing in our own hearts and in our communities it's a great privilege to be here so again my name is Philip um, and I'm part of the team at Foster the Bay and um, I'm excited to be here today to to share something with you that um, I I think is really near to the heart of God and I know it's near to the heart of this church I mean I'm just hearing this it's near to the heart of this church what I want to talk about today um, we'll just call remarkable compassion Okay, so remarkable compassion. And just so we're all on the same page right out the gate, let me just go and tell you what, what I mean when I say that, okay? That word compassion, if you break it down into two, you take that second part of the words, passion, it means to suffer. And then com, C-O-M, means with. So to suffer with. That's what compassion means. It means to, to stand with those who are suffering, to actually enter into the suffering of others. That's what compassion means. And as I said, we know that this is really near to the heart of God, Right? All throughout the scriptures, you see that this is something that matters to, matters to God. If you open up the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see, obviously, God loves every person on this planet, right? Every man, woman, and child. For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only son. And yet, we know that, that there are some people that seem to, to be at the top of God's list, right? There are some people that seem to have a special place in God's heart. And it's clear from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, who, who that is, right? It's the orphan, it's the widow, and it's the immigrant. 
In other words, those who are without a family, those who have suffered deep loss, those who are without a home, those who are without protection, those who are vulnerable. Psalm 82, do we have that up here? Psalm 82. To defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy. That's literally one of just dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures all throughout the Bible that make it absolutely clear what God's heart is towards those who are vulnerable, right? And because that right there has been a defining characteristic of God, that's been a defining characteristic of God's people since the beginning. Um, in fact, did you know that the, the first known hospital in every nation across the globe was started by the Christian movement? Isn't that crazy? If you look at uh, education reform and uh, women's rights, uh, the abolition of slavery, of course, civil rights, they all trace their roots back to the Christian movement. The same is true with adoption. Um, if you were at one of our interest meetings recently, which I know some of you attended, you might have heard us share this story. I think this is so beautiful, though. There are, there are written accounts of an old Roman practice, how when a child would be born into a family, the child would oftentimes be placed at the feet of its father. And if the father stooped down and picked up the child in his arms, then the child was said to like symbolically have been like legitimized and then welcomed into the family. But sometimes the dad didn't stoop down and pick up the child, like for whatever reason. If perhaps maybe the, the child looked weak or frail, or maybe the child like looked sick, or maybe it was just wasn't the preferred gender of the day. But if the father didn't stoop down and pick up the child, instead what would happen is the child would take, be taken outside of the city to a designated place where be left alone to die. But it was the early followers of Jesus that reversed that practice. It was the early followers of Jesus that would go out to those designated places and they would rescue those children and they would bring them into their own homes and they would raise them up as their own beloved sons and daughters. And it was the early Christians that put pressure on the Roman government to outlaw the practice. Isn't that cool? Like that, that's, that's our history as God's people. That's our, that's our history as the church. The same is true with foster care. Let me tell you about a guy named Charles Brace. Um, Charles Brace was born in the, the, um, in the 1800s. He was born in the northeastern part of the country. And uh, he, his parents were followers of Jesus. At a real young age, Charles placed his faith in Christ. And, and one day he was sitting in church on a Sunday, just like you are today, listening to a message from a pastor, just like you are today. And the pastor said something that just radically changed his life, just like I did with you a moment ago. I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but the, the pastor said something that, that just really pierced his heart. And this is basically what the pastor said. I'm gonna paraphrase. The pastor basically said, you know, when we think, when we think about all the love that God has poured out on us, all of his mercy and his grace and his compassion to us in our times of need, he said it's impossible for us when we see the brokenness in the world around us, it's impossible for us not to believe that we have some level of responsibility to do something. When we think about all of the love and the compassion that God has so lavishly poured out on us, when we see the brokenness around us, it's impossible for us to believe that we don't have at least some level of responsibility to get engaged. Okay, so it just, that took root in his heart. So a few years would go by, and he would be in New York City, and he was going to seminary. He was uh, studying to become a pastor. And uh, one day he took a walk through the city. And he walked into a neighborhood called Five Points. You know what the neighborhood Five Points? 
Have you seen the movie Gangs of New York? Could you admit that? Is it okay? <laughs> Nobody will judge you. Um, if you've seen the movie Gangs of New York, you might remember the neighborhood Five Points. Five Points was known for its crime and its poverty and its prostitution and its gang violence. He said that when he walked into that neighborhood, he said that his heart just melted because what he saw in front of him were hundreds of kids living in these incredibly unhealthy, dangerous environments. He said, oh, my heart just melted within me. He said that his mind raced back to what his pastor had said those years before, and he realized that in light of all that God had done for him when he was in those times of need, that he had, he had some level of responsibility to do something with what he was seeing in front of him. He had to do something. And so he did. At the age of 27, Charles rallied some of his buddies together, and they started what they called the Children's Aid Society which, by the way, is still around today, 150-some years later. You can look them up. The Children's Aid Society started all kinds of programs that dealt like at a systemic level with what they were seeing in front of them in Five Points. So um, they started these programs that today seem so commonplace, but at the time were absolutely like revolutionary and innovative. But they started, for example, the first free school lunch programs. They started dent uh, free dental clinics for kids. They started schools for children who were disabled. And they started, they started uh, the Parent Teachers Association, PTA, came from these guys. Most notably, though, they started what we call foster care. So they would help these kids who were living in these unhealthy environments find a loving, stable home, a loving, stable family to live with while their parents did what they needed to do to create a stable, healthy environment again. And one, then once again, the family was reunified. They were reconciled back together. What morphed and evolved from there became what we now call the modern foster care system. So friends, follow me. Foster care was started by a pastor. Foster care was started by a Christian who understood that in light of all that God had done for us, in light of all that he's done for us, surely we can do the same for those around us. I love that. Like, that's our legacy as God's people. That's our legacy as the church. And I'm, I'm stoked to be here today to, sh to share with you that we have the opportunity to carry on the same torch today in our generation in the Bay Area. A few years ago, um, my wife and I, uh, we were in, in ministry, so uh, f about four plus years ago, my wife and I started fostering, and I was pastoring a church in South San Jose, and um, I know many of you are probably familiar with foster care, but just so we're all on the same page, foster care is when uh, a child enters into foster care when they need to be removed from their uh, current living situation with their family, removed from their home, oftentimes, 99% of the times because of abuse or neglect. Okay? So these kids that were coming into our homes um, had just gone through, honestly, what nobody should have to go through, especially children. And our, our hearts were breaking for these kids that were coming into our home. And we just started to think, maybe there's, is there more that we can do than just opening up our own home? And we started to think, well, what if, what if God would like, have us use uh, the platform that he'd given us here at, at our church? We have a church of about 100 people. And we thought, you know, we can't do everything. We can't fix all the problems, but maybe we could just do a little bit more. And so we, um, we stood in early 2015, and I stood before our church, and we cast this vision to our community and said, hey, what if as a church we got engaged with what I believe is the most vulnerable population in the Bay Area? And we came up with all these ideas. Like we were going to do some events to care, you know, to, to support foster parents. And we were going to come up with some donations for kids who come into care. Because oftentimes when kids come into foster care, they come in with honestly like nothing. I have four brothers personally who were adopted from foster care. My three youngest brothers were, were a sibling set. They were siblings. They came in with a paper bag between the three of them and a, and a stuffed animal from the police station. 
Oftentimes kids come in, they have nothing. So we said, what if we come up with some donations for kids coming into care? And then our big dream was, we thought like, and what if in our little church, what if there was one more family that stepped forward? What if there was one more home that opened up? And to be honest with you, I remember thinking like, we're not going to get that goal, but that's okay. Like, maybe we'll hit the first two. Because, like, when you're, when you're pastor in a small church, like, you know everybody. So I'm like, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Like, you just know. Like, you just totally discount everybody. Like, none of you are going to. Because, listen. Listen. Because fostering is not like giving 30 bucks a month to a kid through Compassion International. It's not. It's a life-changing, world-altering decision. So I remember just thinking, oh, there's no way we're going to hit this. There's no way we're going to do this. Can I tell you what happened? So here, we cast vision, and when we did that, we brought out a social worker to help us do it. We said, we want somebody to speak on behalf of social services. And so we brought her out, and she shared for a few minutes, and then she just sat in the back corner the rest of the time and just listened to our church have this conversation together. And she went back to the county building uh, and just started sharing with other social workers, hey, you got to hear what this, this church is wanting to do. So they said, hey, can we meet with you guys? We sat down with them a couple weeks later, and they said, hey, we heard what your church is wanting to do. We want you to know, like, we're, we're happy to partner with you guys in this. We think this is cool. They said, but the reality is, the reality is, is that the crisis, that's the term she used. She said the emergency crisis in the foster care system is just bigger than your church. She said, do you think that there might be other churches that might want to do the very same thing? This is the term she used. She said, would you guys consider spearheading a faith alliance? And so I said, well, can you tell me what that means to you? <laughs> I asked her, I said, what does that mean exactly when you ask that? And she said, well, honestly, we've got events happening. It's great you guys want to do events. We've got events. And we've got donations coming in, too. She said, what we need are homes. She said, there are far more kids entering into foster care because of abuse or neglect. Far more kids coming into care than there are homes that are ready for them. She said, what happens is, when they, they're not just removed them from their biological families for a season, but then they're removed from their schools and their teachers and their therapists and their friends and their sports. Like Everything that's safe and familiar and comfortable to them is taken from them because of a lack of home. She said, it just adds trauma upon trauma upon trauma. And we told her that day in many conversations since then. We said, you know, one of the, the, the deepest essence of who I am is I'm a follower of Jesus. And at least part of what that means is, is, is taking seriously the things that Jesus tells us. And we told her, I said, you know, um, one of Jesus' most fundamental commands to us was to love our neighbor, right? And it just broke our heart. I mean, because these were kids from my streets and my neighborhoods. And it just broke my heart that somebody else in some other part of California or some other part of the country is having to care for my neighbor, show love to my neighbor. Like, these are my neighbors. And it's just, there's something fundamentally broken about that. And so long story short, maybe not so, so short, but long story, um, we, uh, we said yes, and we, and we launched this, this faith alliance, as she called it, and we call it Foster the Bay. And um, over the last three plus years, it's been unbelievable to see what, what God has done in the Bay Area Church. We, uh, it's, it's been, and we've never, I'm, I'm, this is God honest truth. We have never seen, in any of the counties that we've worked in, we've never seen such momentum and such passion from the church that we have in Alameda County. God is at work in the Bay Area Church. We just launched in Alameda County in January. We have almost, I've even lost count, we have almost 20 churches that have already said we're in. We want to help be a part of the solution right here because to be honest with you, in Alameda County, it's worse than any other place in the Bay Area. 
there are more kids being sent out of Alameda County due to a lack of homes than there are in, in, in any other county. Um, so I'm here today to share with you that I, that we, I believe this is, this is close to God's heart. Um, and I, you, you feel the same way. I know, and, but oftentimes we don't know what we can do. How do we get involved? And so I want to share with you um, some of those ways. But before I do that, I just want to share, when we first started Foster the Bay, we really launched with like three core beliefs, like three things that were going to shape who we were and what was going to drive us forward. And here's the deal. Foster care is not for everybody. Okay, so like you take a breath. Not everybody here needs to jump into this, okay? Um, But here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, God is calling you into a life of remarkable compassion, Foster care is one expression of that. If you're a follower of Jesus, though, God is calling you to a life of remarkable compassion. Like, that's not up for debate. That's, that's scripture, okay? Um, but regardless of what expression he might be calling you into, these three core beliefs I'm going to share with you, here with you in just a moment, uh, I believe that they can really shape your, your, you know, your drive and your, your, uh, compel you into that life of remarkable passion. So let me share with you the first one here, and that's, that's this belief. Here's our first core belief. It's the belief that every person has intrinsic value. Every person has intrinsic value. We believe that, right? When the book of Genesis says we are created in the image of the living God of the universe, okay? Um, the Bible will go on to say, and I think it's Ephesians 1, that we were spoken forth from before the foundation of the world. God spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. Think about what that means for a minute. That, that, that means that the physical act between your mom and your dad that put you into being, we'll leave it at that because it's disgusting, right? That, like that, like that, but that moment of conception, right, that, that puts you into existence. Like that was secondary. What came first was that you were birthed in the heart of God before the foundation of the world. And that's true for every man, woman, and child in the Bay Area. The book, the book of Isaiah goes on to say that we are precious to God in his sight. You're valuable to God. I have a buddy that says, um, said that he, he got a, um, he's a foster dad. He said he got a call for a child one time. Uh, the county called him and said, hey, we need a... Um, we need a home for this, this child that just came into the system. And my buddy already had kids in his home at the time. So he said, well, uh, I already have kids in my house. Can you tell me a little bit more about him? I want to make sure like it's going to be an appropriate placement. And they said, well, we don't know too much about the child yet. Uh, he's brand new to the system. They said, we do know one thing. We know he's a biter. <laughs> it's, it's my buddy's like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> like, what does he bite? Um, and, and he said he thought to himself, like, I don't know if I want to take in a biter. He said, though, as soon as that thought hit him, all of his theology started flooding back into his mind. And he said, and I realized that the term biter is an inadequate description of a child. The term biter is an incomplete description of a human being. You know why? Because you're more than the worst thing you've ever done. And you're more than the worst thing that's ever been done to you. And so, by the way, you might need to be here tonight just to hear that one single statement. So I'm going to say it one more time. Friend, you, you are more than the worst thing you've ever done. And you're more than the worst thing that's ever been done to you. You matter to God. You're valuable to God. You know, he proved that too, didn't he? The Bible says God, God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. 
How do you determine the value of something? You determine the value of something by what someone's willing to pay for it. Right? And what was God willing to pay for us? We're valuable to God. Every person, every man, woman, and child is, is, is intrinsically valuable to God. He proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. That's that first core belief. Here's the second core belief, though. Second core belief is that their story is our story. Their story, their story is my story. Um, I might be a little bit biased here, um, but I think that there might be no time in your life when you are more like God than in the moments when you open up your heart or your home to, to someone who's in need. Because that's exactly what God did for us, right? That's what God did for us. There was a time in my life when I was lost and beat up and I was broken and I was hurting and I was I felt alone. I felt like because of all of the, the scars and the wounds from my past, like I had absolutely no hope for my future. But when I was at my lowest and my darkest, my most hopeless place, God showed up. And he made a way for me to be brought into his family at great cost to himself. He showed up and he brought me in his family. He gave me a hope for my future. Is that anyone else's story? Is that your story? Man, I think, when I, when I stop and I really think about what God has done for me, like, when we think about what God has done for us, it's incredible. Like, maybe, just maybe, we get to do the same for someone else. Doesn't that make you want to do something for someone else? There's a verse in Ephesians 1. It says this, Ephesians 1, verse 5. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Think about that verse for a minute. Like, God decided in advance. It wasn't plan B. It wasn't plan C. It wasn't plan D. Um, he decided in advance to adopt you into his family by bringing you to, to himself through Jesus Christ. Like, I just love that. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life, even today, I mean, there are times in my life where I just feel like I'm a perpetual disappointment to God. Like, did God begrudgingly bring me in his family? Did he actually, does he, does, he, does he regret this in any way? Have I messed up one too many times? I love this. He decided ahead of time to adopt me in his family. It's what he wanted to do, and it brought him great pleasure. Some of you today, you're here, maybe you're just exploring what this is all about. A friend brought you, and you're just here exploring, and you're thinking, man, if there is a God, would he even want anything to do with me? Have I gone too far? I hope that you see this. <laughs> he, he, he wants to, it would bring him great joy and great pleasure to welcome you into his family, to make you a son or a daughter of the king. God wants you in his family. It brings him great joy. On a very like finite scale, I kind of get this. As a foster dad, the little ones that, that, that have come into our home, these young, young people that have come into our home have brought us so much joy, so much pleasure. I could tell you a lot of stories. One of the little ones we have here with us today is we're actually fostering right now. Um, she has brought us so much joy. So much laughter, so many great memories. Another one that, um, that we fostered, 
she's, she's now back home with her, um, back home with her parents, which is fantastic, but now they, um, um, I just won't share this on like social media or anything, so like I'll just, she, but her, her, her biological mom, they, they now started attending our church. She just got baptized maybe a month ago or so. And uh, I just, just before, we, we went to our own our church before we came here today. And so we just gave this little girl that was in our home for about seven months, just gave her a big old hug before we came here. See what God is doing through their family. It's brought us so much great joy. Um, but the thing is, when we show remarkable compassion to people, yes, it brings tremendous joy, tremendous um, pleasure. At the same time, when God brought us into his family, it not only brought him great joy, what else did it come with? It came with sacrifice. Right? God bringing us into his family brought great sacrifice. In the same way, when you and I show remarkable compassion, there will always, 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 always be a cost involved. When people hear that we foster, um, we often, this is what my wife and I often get, they'll, they'll come up, they'll, they'll say, oh, but this is, that's so cool. Um, we think that's, that's amazing that you guys do that. We could never do that. That's what they always say, we could never do that. Uh, and they say, you know, isn't it hard, like having kids come into your home and then like falling in love with them? And then like after they're with you for months or years, um, to then like see them go back to their families and, and maybe never see them again? Can I tell you what goes through our, goes through my mind? I don't always say this, but can I, can I tell you what goes through my mind when they say that? I say, of course it hurts. Of course it's hard. Like, I'm not some cold-hearted robot, right? Like, of, of, cor- of course it's hard. Um, I remember the, the, the first little one that we started caring for, she was, she was four months old when we got her. Beautiful little girl. We had her for about a year. And because of the time that we, we had her, uh, just her development was just through the roof. And so we, um, she took her first steps in my living room, right? And she, um, she said her first words with us. She called me Dada. That was her first word. She called my wife Mama. That's what she heard our other kids calling us. Um, she, was a, she was a sister to my kids. Um, but over that, that year, we were also getting to know her biological parents, the fact is, like, they had made some mistakes. There was a reason why their little girl was with us. Um, but over that year, they were doing everything that they needed to do, taking all the right steps to get their little girl back. And after about a year or so, the judge gave the green light, and he said, okay, it's time. And I remember, like it was yesterday, I remember handing this little girl back into the arms of her father at my front door. My, my son, my oldest son, told me it was the first time he'd ever seen me cry. Because we wept that day. Of course it hurts. But you don't show compassion because it makes you feel good. Right? You don't, because frankly, compassion's not about you. I have a friend who says you don't foster to get a child for your family. You foster to give your family to a child. That's true for every expression of compassion, whatever that might be. You don't, you don't show compassion to get something for yourself. You show compassion to give yourself to something. Um, then we have people who say, well, they, what about your kids, though? I have, my, I have, again, I have three biological kids, ages 11 and younger. And uh, they say, you know, it's, it's all well and good for you to 
kind of make your peace with that. But what about when it impacts your children? Because the fact is, I wasn't the only one crying that day. Like it broke our kids' hearts too. Um, what about when it impacts your kids? What do you do with that? And I, honestly, I wrestled through that a lot. What about when, what, what about when showing remarkable compassion impacts those you love? Um, so as my wife and I were going through that kind of year-long process to get approved as foster parents, we really wrestled that question, like, what is this going to do to our kids? Um, sometimes kids who, who experience trauma in foster care, in their pain and confusion, they act out of that trauma. So sometimes the kids that come into your home are going to act out. It's going to be chaotic. We've experienced that. There have been, there have been seasons of just felt like hell, honestly, in our home. It's impacted our children. So you wrestle through that. Like, what do you do with your kids? So as my wife and I were, were processing through that, as we were going through the approval process, I had a friend, friend say this, that um, it just sh- sh- shaped my perspective. Um, he said, you know, as a, as, a, as a dad, yes, my responsibility is to, to, to care for my children, um, to make sure they're safe. He said, but my... But my job as a dad is not necessarily to ensure that they live a comfort-filled life. That's not my job, he said. Uh, He said, in fact, as a Christian dad, my highest level of responsibility is to raise my kids to live like Jesus. That's my highest responsibility. And so he told me, he said, as, as now every day, as a foster dad, he said, now every day, my kids get to learn what it looks like to show compassion to others. To share, to, to be forgiving, to be patient, to learn that the world doesn't revolve around them. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is hard. I mentioned before, I grew up um, with, I had four brothers that were adopted from foster care, and I had other brothers and sisters that came in and out of the home. And so I could just tell you some, some memories I have as a kid that were really hard. Um, but for every difficult and challenging memory that I have, I have about 99 other ones where I saw my parents give of themselves for vulnerable kids. So much so, yeah, it was hard. But I grew up in the midst of those challenges thinking, I'm going to do that one day. And that's why I'm standing here today. If we are willing to embrace both the, the pleasure and the joy of remarkable compassion, as well as that the pain and the sacrifice... It's incredible for us to think about the impact that we can have. That brings me to my, my, my third and my final core belief, and that's this. Um, the belief that our investment in the lives of the vulnerable will bring long-term impact. Our investment in the lives of the vulnerable will bring long-term impact. Um, even if you're not familiar at all with foster care or vulnerable kids or trauma, um, it's pretty, pretty obvious um, we could, you'd, all, you'd guess, it, kids who grow up without a stable, healthy environment, they're far more susceptible to all kinds of other issues as they get older, right? So for example, the FBI did a study uh, a few years ago that said that 60%, 6 60% of children who were rescued from human trafficking here in the States came from foster care, 60%. Um, if a child ages out of foster care without getting placed into a stable, loving home, uh, they are like... will be unemployed by their mid-20s. 30% will be living on the streets. Um, More than half will have PTSD. In fact, you are twice as likely as a foster child to have PTSD than a war veteran because of all they've gone through. 
Suicidal tendencies of foster youth are, are four times higher. Right? I could just keep giving you stat after stat after stat from domestic violence and teen pregnancy and, and lack of education and so on. What we realized when we started praying about whether or not God would, 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 is, is was calling us to help mobilize churches to engage this issue, what we began to realize is like, was like we need groups and individuals and organizations that are going to go down to like t- the Tenderloin in St. James Park down in my neck of the woods. Like we need people that are going to address those who are homeless like right when they're in the thick of it. We need groups like IJM that are like kicking down doors and rescuing boys and girls who are being trafficked right now. Like we need people to be addressing these things right when they're in the, in the midst of it. But what if in addition to that, we also go all the way upstream and we care for these kids before they ever enter into the issues? Like what would the statistics in the Bay Area look like in 15 years from today if every child today that entered into foster care was immediately placed into a loving home? What would that do to the, to the Bay Area? And so that's, that's, that's our vision. We believe that the best way to see a transformed Bay Area tomorrow is if we care for vulnerable children today. And that's not just a catchy little mantra. It's true. It's true. So we have this, this, this vision. We want to see, uh, as, as Emily mentioned, a, a waiting list of families rather than a waiting list of children in need of a home. The fact is, there were about 2,000 kids that entered into foster care last year in the Bay Area. About half of those children had to be sent out of their home counties because of uh, of a lack of foster homes in their county. Uh, That's about 1,000 kids. There are over 4,000 Bible-teaching, Christ-centered churches in the Bay Area today. If even a fraction of churches in the Bay Area raise up a foster family with a team of four support friends, then we'll have more than enough to meet the need. So that's our prayer. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm sharing with you kind of the, 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 the foundation of kind of our mission because I'm going to ask you to pray with us. You're a praying church. I'm going to ask you to pray with us for this. There are going to be some churches that can raise up five or ten because of their size and that this is a part of their culture. The other churches that can see one. There's going to be some churches that maybe don't have a foster family in their community, but they're going to be praying. They're going to be raising up support friends. I'm going to ask you to start by praying. And I'm going to ask you to consider whether or not God might be stirring in your own heart to get involved as well. Um, do I have time for one more story? Okay. I'm going to share one more story. And I wasn't going to share this one because this has to do with your neighbors over in San Francisco. But I just feel like it's worth sharing. Um, we, when we first launched in San Francisco, which was last year, we, were, you know, we, we, we do this in collaboration. We work at churches and agencies. So we, work, um, we partner churches with uh, the government agencies in their area. And so we're getting to know the different agency, agencies. And we um, got a call from an organization called Safe and Sound. And they said that they'd like to meet with us. We said, sure. If you're not familiar with Safe and Sound, they're an organization contracted by the city to work with kids in, in um, foster care that have been trafficked, have been sexually exploited. And so um, we met with them. And, and she, this woman told us, she said, she said, we have um, 69 open cases in the city um, of, of kids who have been trafficked. And I asked her, I said, man, out of those 69, uh, how many kids were you able to find homes for? Um, and she said, 12. And it just, it just broke my heart because I was thinking, man, for so long as a church, we have talked and talked and talked about how much we care about this issue of human trafficking. And here we have 57 children, children, who have been sexually exploited and we can't find homes for them. 
she told me she, at the end, of she, um, she was a, this, this woman that I was meeting with was a Christian. She said, uh, she said uh, at the very end of the meeting, she said, Philip, I don't want you to think I'm too Pentecostal. Uh, she, and, and she said, but I want to I share, she said, can I share something with this? I said, sure. And she said, uh, she said, well, recently I had this dream. She said, in my dream, she said there was this house in front of me, and she was multi, multi-story uh, house, and she said, and it was on fire, and the, she said, the kids that I work with were in this upper story, and this thing was burning down, and these kids were jumping out of the upper story windows, and she said, I was on the ground trying to catch these kids. She said, you have to understand, again, that the suicidal tendencies of these kids, because of all that they've been through, are really, really high. They just don't want to go on living anymore. And, um, and so she she said, as they were jumping down, she said, I was on the ground trying to catch them before they hit the ground. She said, the problem was that there were too many kids. I couldn't catch them all in time. She said, but in my desperation, she said, in my dream, I turned around and I looked behind me and there was a whole crowd of people that were running up behind me. They started catching the kids with me. And she said, after I had this dream, she said, right after I had this dream, I heard about Foster the Band, what the churches were doing. She said, I want you to know that I think that those people in my dream, that was the church. She said, that's why I called you to meet. Um, as I just sat there and just said, I, gosh, I pray that you're right. I pray, I pray that you're right. That's what we're calling churches into. There are kids who desperately need to be caught. Been through so much. We know what God has done for us. God is calling us to do the same thing for others. So I'm going to tell you some ways that, that you can be involved, that you can actually be that. You can actually help catch some of those kids. Um, but before we do that, I want to just invite you to watch this quick video just to get an idea of what God is doing across the Bay Area in churches. I want to invite you to watch this video with me. City. Today. Today. Today in my city. Today in my city, a child will be removed from their home due to abuse or neglect. Another child will enter the foster care system, and another child will be placed on a list of children waiting for a home. I've seen the headlines and studied the statistics. They say the future is grim. They say the future is grim. But we've got good news. But we've got good news. We believe that God redeems the most hopeless situations. That he brings beauty from ashes and turns mourning into dancing. We believe God is near to the brokenhearted. That he brings joy in the midst of grief and gives dreams in place of despair. We believe these children matter to God and that he cares about their futures. We believe that he's ready to write a new chapter in their stories. The Bible says that God sets the lonely in families, so we know that he longs for children in the foster care system to be placed into loving, supportive homes. We believe there's a church for every child. Foster the Bay is a coalition of churches. A coalition of churches is a coalition of churches. Foster the Bay is a coalition of churches committed to providing a loving home for every child in the foster care system. We dream of the day when every church will rise up and answer God's call to care for vulnerable children. We dream of the day when the long list of children waiting for a home will be replaced with even longer lists of families willing to open their hearts. We dream of the day when our cities will be transformed because the church is known as a community where abused and neglected children are cared for as beloved sons and daughters. As beloved sons and daughters. 
As we move toward that day, we will pray for these children and their families. We will pray for social workers and judges. We will inspire and equip our churches to step forward as foster families and support friends. We will partner with government leaders and county agencies to make this vision a reality. We will press on until there are more than enough families to meet the need. We will always protect, always trust, always hope, and always persevere. We will believe. We will dream. We will love. We are. 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 We are Foster the Bay. That's our that's our vision and that's our heart and I and again I just I believe that, that God might be leading some of you to get involved and some, the reality is some of you already are. <laughs> uh, Christine, who was here a few weeks ago, sent me a picture of um, I guess some of you that attended the interest meeting uh, a week or two or three ago um, took took a big picture and uh, the fact is you guys are already in. I'm preaching to the choir for the last 40 minutes. Um, so, but thank you for letting me share. But the th- fact is there might be some of you even just need like till the soil a little, little bit. You've taken some steps, you've attended a meeting, or maybe you've thought about it, you haven't attended a meeting yet, but God's been doing something in your heart, and I'm here today just simply to help you kind of take that next step. Um, for some of you, perhaps God is, is leading you possibly to, to open up your heart, to, a, to, to open up your home to a child who's in need. Um, for some of you, it's, it's more along the lines of the support friend. You say, I, I care deeply about vulnerable children, but I can't personally open up my own home. Um, instead, I, I, could, I could support someone who can. I could bring a meal. I could, bring, I could babysit once or twice a month so that uh, the foster parents can get a date. Now, I could, I could pray. I could, I could offer a ride here or there. I, I could covenant myself to a family and, and, and support them along the journey. Um, if... if if you're interested in, in learning more about Foster Bay in any way, I want to encourage you to, to, to fill out this next step card. There's one in the back there at the back table. Um, just go ahead and fill this out there. And if you do that, make sure to let us know what time we can drop your foster kid off to your house tomorrow afternoon. Um, <laughs> kidding. <laughs> if, you, if you fill this out, all we're going to do is send you an email, okay? We're going to send you an email that gives you like a, a, a list of the different... Um, uh, interest meetings that you can attend where you can learn a little bit more. Let me close with this final, final thought. I began our time by telling you um, what that word compassion means. Let me finish by telling you what that word remarkable means. Like I said, foster care is but one expression of remarkable compassion. So what does that word remarkable mean? It means you're able to remark on it. That's what remarkable means, right? You're able to remark. In other words, it's worth talking about. The question is, are you living a life of compassion that's worth talking about? Because in Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and then glorify your Father who's in heaven. In other words, are you, have you followed Jesus into that life that is so filled with compassion that others just look at your life and it just they have to respond in some way? Because that's what God is calling each one of us into. A life of remarkable compassion, a life that's filled with pleasure and also with pain, joy and sacrifice. It's, it's beautiful, full of adventure mountains and, and deep valleys um, but that's what God is calling us into and I hope you'll, you'll join us in that can I pray for you God I thank you so much for Ark I thank you so much for what you're doing in this community thank you God for those who are already stepping forward and doing this incredible work um, God, thank you for those who are already um, joining teams and going to be wrapping around families God to enable them to foster longer and better 
God, we ask that you would be stirring in each one of our hearts. God, whether it's foster care or some other completely different expression, would you help us to know where you're calling us? Give us the courage to follow you on that path, in that journey, regardless of where it takes us, God. We trust you. We love you. We do this, God, because you have your just deep love for us and what you've done for us. Um, God, we, we are so grateful to be a part of this journey together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again. That was so powerful and beautiful and necessary. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, actually, I also want to exhort you guys. Um, Emily's going to come up and share afterward, but um, I'm part of the Justice Prayer Group at, um, at the ARC, and it was crazy. Like Earlier this week, we were actually studying and reading about um, children in the um, prison system and stuff, um, and I just want to share something that we got that I feel like ties to, ties to all this. In Matthew 18... Um, when the disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I had never thought about that. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus answers, he calls a child to himself and says, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and drown in the death of the sea. Anyways, and he goes, and then it's, it's just, <laughs> and I just thought to myself, like, no, no wonder there's such an attack on our youth and our children. They're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, like, we're actually supposed to model ourselves after them. Um, and no wonder there's such an attack, like, when I hear about the statistics and just, anyways, yeah. And so I just want to exhort you guys to, um, I don't think we have to actually be biological parents to be spiritual parents. I really believe like God's, he's not just raising up sons and daughters, but spiritual mothers and fathers amongst all of us. Um, and this is not for anyone to feel guilty or ashamed or anything like that, but I really believe we have, a, we have an authority here. And, um, and I, just, I just actually want to just pray hope into that because I feel like the reason why the task might seem daunting is because of hopelessness, not because of the actual task, but hopelessness. Um, but if we knew the authority and the hope that's been given to us, it wouldn't be so daunting, I think. Um, and so, yeah, God, I just pray that you would fan the flame of hope in us, God, that God, you would give us a hope against hope, that God, we have an authority in this place to love our neighbor as ourself, that we can, we can because by your blood, by your spirit, by your grace, we can, we are able. You've empowered us to do so, God. And so I pray that you would, I pray an outpouring, God, of hope over each and every one of us, God. Um, and, the, and I pray that you pour out a joy set before us, just like there was a joy set before you, God, to love those who are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Cool. Um, thank you so much, Pastor Philip. That was really amazing, wonderful. Um, let's give another round of hand. Uh, um, yeah, we just pray a blessing upon your family, and um, we pray blessings for your whole family this year and years to come and everything Foster Bay is doing. Um, actually, we're actually um, a little bit early on time, so I, I want to take advantage of like the next 15 minutes or so that we have um, of extra time. And we don't do this a lot during Sunday service, but just so we can kind of break down what we've heard and um, 
digest it and uh, take it take a next step. Um, if you have the time, feel free to leave too if you need, or feel free to come up here for altar ministry. We still have a one-on-one -on -one prayer up here for um, if you just want to pray with someone one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but I want to encourage you to stick around for the next 15 minutes or so, and 15, 20 minutes to gather in small groups of uh, whoever you came with, or um, grab a, a couple other people, groups of four or five, and uh, just discuss with one another um, a couple questions. What did God highlight? You, what did God highlight from Pastor Phillips' message for you? And number two, um, how is God calling you to live with remarkable compassion? And so then, um, after you discuss those, just pray with one another, and um, we'll we'll head out from our Sunday. Um, so yeah, just encourage you all to pair up this time, or come up to the front. Thanks. And worship and worship team, could you come play some? I'll come. <laughs> Have a blessed Sunday, everyone. Also, uh, we'll be at the foyer if you guys want to fill out a uh, next step card or talk to Pastor Philip. Thank you.